0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you all. For those who maybe knew, my name is Jit. I'm the Associate Vicar here. It's my great privilege to be carrying on our series looking at 24-7 discipleship, how to be a Christian in every area of your life, not just here on a Sunday or when you have devotional time by yourself with the Lord or maybe when you meet with others, such as in a house group, but actually throughout the vast Sweep of the week, where we're involved in various different things. What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? And today, this morning, we have the topic of shopping. Um, And that is why Mike asked you that question earlier. What does it look like to be a Christian in relationship to things that we buy and our shopping habits? Well, we're going to be mainly based in our Philippians chapter, And so could I invite you to find your Bibles, if you've closed them, open them up to Philippians chapter 4, and it was page 1181, and I'm going to pray for us as you're doing that. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you, the Father of lights above, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And Lord, thank you for the gift of your word especially. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, you might speak to us, that we might see you, and that we might be more conformed to your likeness. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Well, in the news this week was the story of Michelle Magar, who's a freelance financial journalist. And she's just written a book called The No-Spend Year where she details her ch- her attempt to not spend any money for an entire year. And she did this because she looked at her outgoings from her account and was aghast at what she saw one November. She saw that in a single year, she spent £1,570 in pubs, £1,110 in restaurants, and £400 on coffees. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if any of those relate. She didn't, in her challenge, manage to stop spending money completely. But she did save £25,000 by choosing to give up a few things. She chose to cycle everywhere rather than spend money on petrol. She chose to spend only £30 a week on essentials. And she chose to make do with everyday things and try and find out alternatives, such as moisturiser, which she tried to use banana peel to rub into her face. She then reported, that does not work. (laughs) But she gave it a go. You'd expected her to end the year absolutely miserable, but actually her testimony was this. I feel genuinely happier. I don't feel like I'm on the treadmill anymore. Working to buy things that I think make me happier, or better looking, or more interesting. Very interesting, I thought. And that wasn't uh, to start this sermon by saying that's what we all have to do, you'll be glad to know, but it is just to show the power of shopping, both for good and for bad. Shopping is something that affects everybody. No one here gets away through life without doing some amount of shopping nearly on a weekly basis. In fact, it's reckoned that the only person in the country that doesn't shop is the Queen, and she gets people to shop for her instead. On the other side of things, the retail industry in shopping employs more people as a private sector employer than any other sector in the country, close to 3 million people. Some here will be employed in the retail industry. Industry. It affects everyone. But the question I want to ask this morning is, if it affects everyone, what does being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, mean, and how does that affect shopping that affects us all? Well, very quickly, I want to suggest two key things to draw out of this passage about how our shopping habits should be formed under Christ. And the first one is this, that we should shop from a place of satisfaction, that we don't shop to be satisfied, but we shop because we've already been satisfied and it's an overflow from that place, a safe place. In the 1955 edition of the Journal of Retailing, at a time when the West was still recovering from a horrendous world war and the economic fallout from that, and was trying to reboot its economy, A retail expert wrote the following to other retailers about a vision for the future. And he wrote this. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and using of goods into rituals, and that we seek in it our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, replaced, and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. That was back in the 50s, but I think we can all say today we're experiencing the reaping of that vision. describes us very well as a culture shopping for satisfaction rather than from a place of already being satisfied. And from... Paul's letter to the Philippians this morning we find that his attitude was one of satisfaction when it came to material goods bought on his behalf he had a right heart in these things we were studying this letter last term and if you remember from that the context of the letter is that it's a thank you letter he's saying thank you for gifts that were given to him he was in prison in Rome under harsh conditions and the roman prison system didn't allow you to be fed by the state or clothed by the state in fact you had to rely on outsiders coming in and giving you food and clothing as your provision and the philippine church that he planted many years ago heard about his plight and sent this person epaphroditus with gifts and money to buy things for him and he comes and paul is blessed and rejoices and says thank you or nearly says thank you actually And he says this, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you didn't have any opportunity to show it. But then, rather than carry on like a normal thank you letter that you might write at Christmas when you were a kid to your grandma saying, thank you for this wonderful jumper. I'm going to wear it especially on cold days. Thank you for this knitted scarf. It's not itchy at all. It is the most comfortable thing I've ever worn. Thank you so much. Paul doesn't go on to say thanks like that. In fact, he does something completely different. Verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, but I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. <laughs> in a sense, at the surface level, he seems to be saying thanks, but no thanks. I didn't really need it, but thank you anyway. But that's not what he's doing at all. He's not being rude like that. He sometimes is rude, but not here He doesn't want them to be confused about the source of his joy. It isn't at the gifts that he's been given to sustain him, it's actually at the giver of the gifts, them themselves. He's rejoicing at what they're like, their love that they've shown in sending these gifts and sending someone to go shopping on his behalf to bless him. And that's because he has learnt an attitude of being independent from the levels of material provision that he has in his life. Verse 12, he says, I've learnt the secret, the secret of being condemned in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says what the secret is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He explains, I've learnt independence from the levels of material wealth around me, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm starving, whether I've got clothes or not. Because I'd learnt a dependence on Christ, who's met all my needs, his strength that renews me day by day. Because I've depended on him and learnt that secret, leaning on him, I can be independent from all the varying material circumstances around me. And applying this attitude specifically to shopping This, I think, is probably the most important thing we learn as Christians when it comes to buying things and even selling things. That actually, we do it out of a place not to satisfy deep needs, but actually having already been satisfied in Christ Jesus who gives us strength. The culture around us shops for satisfaction, the fulfillment of that 50s retail vision, but that's not our story. That's not our narrative. We shop from a place of being satisfied already. And let me suggest two potential dangers if we get this wrong. Two places that we can use shopping in a wrong way for wrong satisfaction. Firstly, we can use shopping to satisfy a desire for happiness and pleasure. Many of you will have heard of the term retail therapy. Uh, You may have, in fact, used it this week, just going out for a bit of retail therapy or some window shopping to calm the senses. The idea that shopping can be used as a source of comfort and happiness, especially in tough times or stressful situations. The release of endorphins and that buzz of feeling when you buy that thing that you've longed for. Or when you see an absolute bargain in the window and think, that's 70% off, I'm going to get that. When you're surfing the net and you come across a great and wonderful experience. Oh, wow, I didn't know I needed that, but now I do. Right, let's buy it. And suddenly, the senses uplift and there's a bit of happiness brought to life. Shopping very easily can be used in that way. Pleasure pleasure generation. The 80s actress, uh, Bo Derek, said this. Whoever said money can't buy happiness simply didn't know where to go shopping. That's why it's often been said the new churches and cathedrals in the modern world are of course the department stores and the shopping centres, full of delight and amazing things. A sensory and a spiritual experience that lifts you. Last year I went to somewhere called Dubai, which uh, is a mecca for these things. And uh, I was looking at the list of things to do and topping the list repeatedly in whatever book I looked at was to visit a world famous shopping mall. And so I went and I have to admit it was an amazing experience. I'd never seen anything like it. There are things on display, things that were offered that were seemingly out of this world, almost a spiritual and heavenly experience designed to lift you to another place, an experience that's designed to empty your pockets of money but fill your heart with delight. You had to be very careful, very careful. You see, the sad truth is that that sense of pleasure generation from shopping will always be hollow and will always be temporary. The buzz of the latest purchase will soon wear off, And you find that you need to buy something else, and then something else after that. And before long, for some, sadly, they become addicted. And for some, especially if they can't afford it, that leads to debt. And in fact, over the last five years, we've seen increasing levels of shopping debt year upon year in this country because of this. Using it wrongly to satisfy wrong needs. When actually what Christ promises for his followers and for all who would come to him is the deepest satisfaction for that need for joy and peace. This isn't super spirituality, this is reality. He says, come to me, come to me. Isaiah 55, he says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labour for what does not satisfy? You see, our deepest need for joy in life is not through what can be bought with money, but through what has been bought for us at the cross by Jesus a loving, lasting relationship with God through him, cultivated, becoming ever-increasing in joy from this point on until we meet him in glory. That's the source of true satisfaction and a need for happiness. It comes from him. Don't make the mistake of using shopping or anything else for that. And a second need that shopping can't satisfy Is the need for identity. Krish Kandaya, who wrote the book 24, which we're basing our morning series on, tells an interesting story of when he was a school child. And a friend of his had a Saturday job as a sandwich boy, a sandwich board boy. And he would walk around town with a board backwards and um, forwards, advertising a local shop. And when he came across his friends, he was unashamed to be doing this, despite the fact that they mocked him for being a walking advertisement. And the reason was that actually he realised that they were doing exactly the same thing and not realising it. They were wearing the latest kit with the latest fashion designer's emblem on their jumper or on their jeans. They were walking advertisements themselves. And yet he was being paid to do it, whilst they were paying to do it, of course. He was completely unashamed about it. And An interesting story that highlights a fundamental issue here, that actually shopping all too often becomes part of our identity, that we need the latest things, the latest gadgets, the latest kit, the latest home furnishings to augment and expand our identity as who we are. It says who we are by what we have that you can be seen as special by what you wear or the car that you drive or the house that you own or the piece of tech you have in your pocket. Of course, this is the key way that advertising work works quite often, a psychological manipulation saying, you really need that to become a man, a proper man. You really need that to become glamorous and beautiful. Let me sell it to you. Let me sell it to you. You really need that coffee machine that George Clooney has just used because if you buy it, you'll become part of the elite that he has friends in. You really need it. The problem with that is that falling for that manipulation will always fail. You'll never be able to keep up with what you're supposed to have. You'll never quite hit the mark. You'll always fail. And there's a call here not to play that game. Just don't do it. Don't try to establish who you are by what you buy. Don't live for an audience around you. Actually, live for the audience of one. You see, he owns everything on this planet. He's richer than the richest billionaire. Yet he doesn't care at all what you're wearing. He doesn't care at all what you've got in your home actually what he says to you is that you are my child, you I my love. That is the greatest identity that money can't buy. And if you know that, if you live according to that, then it won't matter if you drive a beaten up old car. It won't matter if your clothing is of uh, two or three years fashion or more ago. It won't matter if your house has much to desire, because you know that you're his child. And that's the greatest thing anyone could ever say of your life. Don't let shopping be an alternative to that either. Or well, that was the first point. Shop from a place of satisfaction, not to be satisfied. And then secondly, and much more briefly, having begun with a warning about shopping, I think in our Philippians reading, we can see how we can shop in a right way, how to do this rightly. And that is shopping for God, with God at the center of our shopping lives. Paul says a second moment of thank you in verse 14, where he says, Thank you for sharing in my troubles. You've sent me aid, and you've done it repeatedly throughout my missionary journeys, and you've done it again. Thank you so much. They're a fragrant offering, he says at the end of the reading, a pleasing to the Lord. That actually giving these things to him was giving to God because God was outworking his mission through Paul. And they did it time and time again. And notice that he doesn't say anything about this money or these gifts being wrong. And that's interesting, because we know that the church in Philippi was founded from what seems to be a rich, successful businesswoman's house, Lydia, the seller of purple clothes. And she generated most of her money through the retail business. And no doubt she and others had contributed to Paul's needs. And yet he doesn't call this dirty money. He calls it a pleasing, fragrant offering to God. He says that this is a good thing because it's been done in a right way. Shopping is unto him. And then he says, because you've honoured God, God will honour you. It actually, verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And then he wraps it up, saying, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, that in the both giving and receiving material gifts and wealth, the glory belongs to God. And this is the key way of doing shopping rightly, making sure that God is at the center of it, that the glory belongs to him and him alone, involving him in your shopping habits, redeeming it, actually, and turning it into something very positive. And let me suggest briefly two ways of doing this. Firstly, to make shopping an act of worship, where actually you say to God time and time again, thank you for the things that you've been able to buy. When you open that Amazon package and it arrives on your door, you say, thank you, Lord, for being so generous that you've met my needs, that I've been able to buy this thing. When you fill your fridge with food from the shopping, saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, as I put in the the sliced ham and the cheese and the milk, thank you that you've granted me provision You've blessed me that I've been able to buy these things for me and my family. Thank you so much. Remember him. Put him at the center of those things. But then secondly, shop in a way that honors and glorifies him. Not just saying thanks to him, but making it a kingdom work. Remember verse 20 again. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. This is asking the question, every time you go out shopping, does what I'm buying glorify God or not? Does it lead to his glory or does it diminish from his glory because it's more about me and self-indulgence? To give you an example, you have enough money in the bank account to go on holiday abroad to a nice sunny climb, to spend some time resting on the beach, which is lovely to imagine, in dreary February, and being recharged. Just imagine it now. And the question is, should you buy that holiday? Or should you go to the New Forest, like you normally do, go camping in the rain, but enjoy that instead? Well, on one side there is the sense that actually if what you need is a deep refreshment and recharging so that when you come back, you'll be ready to bring about God's kingdom in the workplace, in your family, in whatever you're doing, well, maybe you should feel free to buy that holiday abroad. But actually, if that would be a waste of money, and actually it could be put to better use, or actually don't and go for the camping in the rain... There's freedom in this, but the question needs to be asked. What's going to glorify God the most? And this applies to clothing, to money spent on children and grandchildren, to money you spend on hobbies. Asking this question, how is God glorified in this? Is he glorified? Let that determine the freedom that you have to make these decisions. We've seen the Gospels, this was how Jesus did it. Sometimes he was happy to be lavished with rich things, rich feasts with rich people, precious ointment poured on his feet. But at other times he chose the path of restraint, having no permanent home, relying on the handouts of others. He didn't care in both situations whether he was judged by others. What mattered to him was How is God most glorified in the way that I live? And sometimes that meant exuberance and abundance, and sometimes that meant restraint. Freedom is ours, but we need to ask that question. And I want to end with a very practical way of applying these things. It's the beginning of the month, and most of you in your post or online will be receiving one of these. It is a bank statement, a credit card bill, that outlines everything that you've bought on it over the last month. And I'm going to throw a challenge down. It's going to be a slightly painful challenge, but it will be quite a powerful thing to do. When you receive this, or if you have received it, I want you to do two things. Firstly, to go through it and give thanks for everything that God has enabled you to buy. Thank you so much that on the 4th I was able to go to Greg's and buy that pasty. That really blessed me to work in that afternoon. Thank you so much that I was able to go to Bombay Bay Curry House and have a curry. You can spot a theme here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for enabling me to buy these things that blessed me and enabled me to do kingdom work. But then to go through and ask the question about each of these purchases, well, did it really glorify God? Or was it more about self-indulgence? Was that shop that seemed to be a wise idea at South Sea Coffee Company a good idea or did I just buy overpriced coffee was that book purchase at Waterstones wise or was it self indulgent because I wanted more books that's me (laughs) I'm going to do this you've probably heard half of it already I'm going to issue the challenge to you to do this to ask the question about your shopping habits because this matters to God He looks at these things. He wants to be honoured and glorified in these things, that we might give thanks to him for all he's given to us, that we might shop because he's satisfied our deepest needs, and that we might do it in a way that honours and glorifies him. Amen. So let's just take a moment. As the uh, band gathers, just to ask the Lord what he wants to speak to us this morning.